What up, peeps? Swizz here with EY from SoFi. I'm telling you people now, this is going to be off the chain, hook, whatever you want to call it. By the way, your hair looks spectacular. What's oh, going on you. there? Is it the lighting? Uh, it's the lighting a little bit, a little of that natural sunshine coming in the window. But also I had highlights done. They course, call it balayage, where they just paint it on your hair. Also, you didn't do foils. No, there was no foil involved. Yeah. None. I got to tell none. you something. You bingo players out there, none of you cats had foils. I guarantee that. <laughs> but this is Market Call. It's August 18th. It's Thursday. As you'll notice, Dan Nathan's not here, which means left to our own devices, God only knows what could happen. By the way, God only knows a great song by the Beach Boys. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app. And we're powered by Open Exchange. Elizabeth, how are you? I am fantastic. I feel like I'm coming to you from the set of Sesame Street. I don't know why it looks like that to me, but anyway, I'm in a studio. We're going to do some videos after this, and you get this nice backdrop today of an exposed brick wall. So I, I feel love, like you know, I'm jazzing very, it up. That's a very Upper West Side. The exposed brick wall was very. If you recall in the movie Wall Street, they talked about exposed brick walls, and then of course, <laughs> Gordon Gecko and and Bud Fox had no interest in that. They moved on, but we're going to move on to the markets because you know what. It's really interesting. We're at a bit of a crossroads here for you Eric Clapton fans. And the S&P 500 obviously went north of 4,300, touched the moving average. Your eyes can draw the trend line for yourself. What are your thoughts here? The market's had a couple. Listen, I happen to think this is a pretty pivotal week for the market. You might disagree. That's what makes markets. Pivotal is one of my favorite words. So I, I love that you used it. Okay, look, I think that the rally that we've seen since June 16th, I think I said this last week too, has been maybe a bit much. But here's the thing. We went down 24% from the highs to the lows. That's enough if we don't go into a big recession. Mm -hmm. So even if we go back down, it doesn't mean that we have to retest that same low. Yeah, we might give some of this back, but you know, I still think that there's upside through the end of the year. Probably not another 16, 17% upside, but I still think there's upside through the end of the year. I agree with that. And look, I, you know, if the 50% retracement of the all time high and the recent low is basically where we are now, the 50% retracement of where we are now and the 52 week low probably puts us somewhere around 4,000. And that lines up with the 50 day moving average. So the math all works. And I hear what you're saying. I think. You've been very pragmatic about this the entire time. I mean, you were one of the first people last fall, which is almost a year ago, to start talking about the market's change to a buy the dips. You said it changed, and so now you sell rally market, and that was spot on. So I'm going to heed your advice on this one. But, you know, it's funny. The things that have been working, and you brought a nice little chart or graph with you, are the things that you actually said were going to work <laughs> weeks, if not longer, ago here on Market Call. <laughs> Look, it's it's nice when that happens, right? A lot of times it feels more like luck than skill, but I thought it would be a good time. We're about halfway through the third quarter. Let's do a comparison of where we are so far in the third quarter, what's working, what isn't working versus what happened in the first half. And if you remember, when we talked about the second half outlook, 
I've said, I think the second half can be better than the first half, but we're going to need different things to lead us out of this from a growth perspective, because as rates are rising, as the Fed is still hiking, technology ends up being sort of not the favorite, and it's still going to see that lid on returns. Now, it's done well so far in Q3, but look at what's outperformed it, consumer discretionary. So you're still finding growth opportunity in names like consumer discretionary, but they don't have that sort of guilty label as tech sectors do and as communications has with rates rising. The other thing on the right side of this chart, everybody who listens to me knows exactly what I'm going to say here. Look at those small caps rip and beat large caps, both in value and growth. That is the complete opposite from what happened in the first half partially due to a stronger dollar. Small cap revenue is much more concentrated in the U.S. and partially due to the fact that the rest of the world is just doing worse than us. So if you're a company that relies on the U.S. consumer, you're going to see more strength. You went to a concert Saturday evening. Am I correct? That would be this past Saturday. Thursday. It was Thursday. It was Thursday. Yes, I um, did. That, see, that's, that's all the cool. See, Old people like myself go on Saturdays. The cool kids go on Thursdays. Will you enlighten us? There's a point of this, by the way. So please don't at me. There is will be a point. Who did you see? I saw Lady Gaga and in I think, concert you know, at MetLife Stadium. Biggest crowd she's ever played. 55,000 people. It was amazing. And I'm sure the crowd was electric. But, you know, there's been this term that's been created over the last couple decades. You know, she is my queen. Here in the United States, we don't have monarchies. But, you know, people throw that around. I think you would admit that Lady Gaga, for many people, she is the queen. And obviously, everybody there probably bowed to her. I will say this. You have become, and I will say this with full transparency and honesty, the queen of the small caps. As a matter of fact, in your Twitter bio, I think you should jam that in. EY from SoFi, also the queen of the small cap. And we're going to look at the RUT here because, as you said, you nailed this one. And you were talking about it in the spring. You said, listen, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm sure people are going to think I'm crazy. We probably said that at the time. But as it turns out, you weren't. You were anything but. And this thing has been off to the races ever since. Well, God save the queen. Hmm. <laughs> Which I think Look. is a Sex Pistols album, and I won't get into the naming of that group. I think I'm sure also, you can imagine. Also, note the similarity. The Queen's name is Elizabeth. So anyway, <laughs> look at the Russell 2000. Here's the thing. It helped that there was there's been a beta rally, right? And I think also you have to think about what the market is viewing as the location in the business cycle. If the market has decided, and I think some market participants have decided this, that we are now more early cycle, maybe we went through that mm -hmm. big flush and now we've returned to more of an early cycle behavior, small caps should do well. So there've been a lot of good tailwinds for the small caps. Now, if we have volatility in September and October, as we usually do, as, as the calendar goes, Small caps probably sell off pretty sharply and they're going to see more volatility. That's what happens with small caps. But if the dollar stays strong and if the rest of the world continues to do worse than the U.S., even if the U.S. isn't doing great, I think there's still a decent amount of strength here and you got to stay in it. Yeah, I agree. Listen, if you're trading at home, I think this is a logical place to take some money off the tables. By the way, she had a great call, EY from SoFi, not EY from Up High, which if, if she were the queen, that's what I would call her instead of SoFi, but that's again, for another show. But if you look at this, it's probably extended itself. And a lot of this move was predicated on, I think, rates basically coming back down to earth, if I'm not mistaken. So if you look at when these things bottomed out, they probably bottomed out around the same time that rates 
topped out, which is not, I think, inconsequential. I don't think it's coincidence at all. Yeah, that's true. And the other thing is that people don't usually pay attention to with the small cap indices is the core index has a decent amount of healthcare exposure in it. So even the core index somewhat insulated from those rate moves because it's not top heavy in technology like the large cap indices are. So you've got something, you've got a sector in there that can actually be looked at as defensive at times, and it's going to heed some of the volatility that you'd see in those classic growth sectors. Let's take a look at the XLY, because why not? We mentioned it. Consumer discretionary, this would be called an ETF, an exchange-traded fund. And obviously, the components to this, 40, I think, I think 43% of the XLY is composed of Amazon. I think that's probably close to 25%. And I think Tesla is another 19. You throw Home Depot in there, and that's half of this ETF, just so you understand what we're looking at. So if you have views in those stocks, take heed in the XLY. But I think we have the same thing here. Again, outperformed, obviously, at a level where it seemingly makes sense to take money off the table. You know, And I think for the consumer discretionary specifically, you know, if we're entering a time where the consumer is going to be strapped and unemployment starts to tick higher, I think it's going to not augur particularly well for this ETF. Thoughts? I would agree. And I think that this has been a nice period of strength for consumer discretionary. But thinking about just what's happening in the macro environment, if you look at the level of credit card debt, consumers are borrowing. And one of the things that's been confusing for me is that we kept talking about this huge savings glut Mm -hmm. and how everybody had all this money sitting around. Well, then why are people borrowing so much on credit cards? The only reasonable explanation I can come up with is that it's mostly a low income consumer borrowing on credit cards. So as they get squeezed, further, you probably see a little pullback in some of the revenue that happens in consumer discretionary. Also, guys, remember, inflation also inflates the top line. So if prices start to come down, as does revenue. So there's going to probably be some more margin compression in these names. So I would pick my spots. And as you rightly pointed out, Guy, this particular ETF, this sector is really top heavy in just a handful of names. I would pick your spots in consumer discretionary and take a look at consumer staples. Because if you think about a middle-class consumer, they're probably looking down the cost spectrum as inflation stays high and buying things at stores that they maybe wouldn't normally shop at. So that could be a benefit to the consumer staple side of things. And just thinking about where Target falls versus where Walmart falls, that's also a good story. May I ask you a question, Elizabeth? Yes, of course. What was your, when you were prone to watch them, what was your favorite sitcom? By the way, there's a point to this as oh. well. So indulge me. Well, so there's a theory that you, you can't be either a Friends fan or a Seinfeld. You can't uh-huh. be both. Uh-huh. You're either one or the other. I'm very much friends. Yeah. Very much friends. That was as, you know, an older, maybe a, a teenager and young adult when I was younger, Punky Brewster. I don't know if anybody on here even knows who that is, but Punky Brewster was my hero when I was a little girl. Wow. Let's see that. You learned something new here on Market (laughs) Call on Thursdays. Nobody has that on their bingo card. That's why you play bingo. You just never freaking know. I will tell you this. My favorite or one of my favorite sitcoms was The Great Mash with Alan Alda, Mike Farrell. Of course, if you remember the show... Colonel Potter, his favorite phrase was horse hockey. So for you out there that think the U.S. consumer's balance sheet's in great shape, I say horse hockey to quote Sherman T. Potter, because right now credit card debt in the United States is north of $1 trillion with a T for the first time. And I don't think, again, that augurs particularly well to use that word for the second time. Now, some people will say, well, 
It means the economy is growing. And there is some truth to that. You know what? At a certain point, you got to pay the piper. And as rates seemingly go higher, you know, that credit card debt's going to be problematic. It's not for today's show, but just keep that in mind. There's something called consumer discretionary. And, you know, when I grew up, discretionary means you choose to do something. I mean, you know, so certain things you don't choose to do, and there's certain other things you choose to do. For example, when I get hungry, I like to go to certain restaurants. What is your fast food restaurant of choice, EY? Oh, man, I am a Mickey D's gal through and Love through. that. And what is your, like, I will, t- well, there's a McDonald's story that I have, but what is your go-to? It depends how hungry I am. Mm. If I'm trying to not feel too guilty about it, it's just a cheeseburger and small fry. If I'm really hungry, it's that two cheeseburger meal with a large fry. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I'm a lot larger than you are and I'm more not <laughs> nearly not as discerning clearly. But what I will say is like, I'll woof down four cheeseburgers, a quarter pounder, large fry, medium Coke, like it's going out of style. And after a oh. Stevie Ray Vaughan concert, I believe late 1980s, maybe 1990s, on the way home from Madison Square Garden, there was a walk-up McDonald's window. My friend Tony and I ordered 23 hamburgers and cheeseburgers, whatever they just had Just for yourselves? Made. Just the yeah, two of just you? just for the two of us. And wow. I will tell you, we got through, I would say, 90% the aftermath, not pretty, but there's not. that's not what we're here for. We're here for to take a look at Chipotle Mexican <laughs> Grill. Let's throw that chart up because this has been a monster as well. Now, as you see... Past support becomes support, and we found it at those lower levels. This is a stock that basically went from about 1900 down to 1200 and is now bouncing. You look at the quarters they put up, their digital growth is through the roof. People knock them on valuation, which I totally get. Problem is they have the earnings growth to back it up. So if you're looking for a discretionary play, both to feed yourself and to play in the stock market, I still like CMG here. Just quick thoughts, not necessarily on the company, but on the food, if you were so inclined. Yeah, look, I mean, as consumers have gone back out into the world, going out to eat actually ended up being cheaper than staying home to eat for a while while groceries were so expensive. So it's no surprise that some of these companies are doing pretty well. The other thing, though, is if you're that middle class or lower end consumer, some of these fast casual restaurants, I think, continue to do okay through the second half of the year where there might end up being some stress. And this goes back to your comment. I don't know if everybody remembers when we talked about a K-shaped recovery a long time ago. Now this is more like a K-shaped recession, in my opinion. What could happen as we move through the second half of the year is that that higher end consumer does actually start to see some stress. But these middle companies that are sort of in the middle of the range cost wise still do okay in that regard. Last night, the Yankees, who have been falling on tough times over the last month and a half, two months, I mean, just not playing good baseball. And last night looked like another one of those lethargic nights down 4 1, rain delay. You're saying, holy shit. Sorry. The Yankees are going to lose yet again. And this is, listen, this is starting to get a little problematic. And then yet something happened. There was a, what we call in the business, a comeback. And guess what else is making a comeback here, EY? That would be the banks. So slide Mm -hmm. it, Earl, and let's take a look at this headline by the Wall Street Journal. Banks are making a comeback. Now, that's a bit deceiving, and we're going to show you why. But talk to me about the banks, because you've waxed poetic a number of times here. 
Well, first, I have to try to give the Brewers a little plug. They have also not been playing the best baseball. I sent you a draft of a joke that I wrote about a Cub, a Brewer, and a Cardinal walked into a bar. I never posted it. I didn't feel good about where it was. (laughs) I'll keep editing it, and you guys watch for that one. But the Brewers have fallen, too. I think they're second now in the standings, and I don't love that. Anyway, Banks are making a comeback. You can put that back up. I'll wait for it to come back. Banks making a comeback. Look, here's the thing. I have been a bull on financials for most of the year. It didn't go well for me in the first half of the year, I fully admit. As the yield curve stayed flat, the whole thing moved up and then it inverted. That did not go well for financials. But what we started to worry about as financial conditions tightened was all these companies with rates rising. Do they have the balance sheets? Do they have the capitalization to make it through an environment like this? One of the things that I think investors have started to realize is that banks are really well capitalized, not to mention they got killed in the first half. And I think not necessarily rightfully so. So now here we are still with an inverted yield curve, but we've got a little cyclical boost for the banks, just like we had a little cyclical boost for industrials. And I remember I said something about a cyclical boost in the second half and somebody attacked me on Twitter for it and said I had no idea what I was talking about. And I hope they're watching. But it was there's not been a, I. a little <laughs> no, I wasn't. But there's been a little cyclical boost. The banks are benefiting. Also, banks have beat on earnings more than many other sectors. And I think although a lot of sectors did surprise to the upside, the surprise in financials has been that much larger. Like human beings, though, EY, not all banks are created equal. And let's take a look at this chart to illustrate exactly that. And this is something we've talked about. Now, if you can read the fine line here, we have a Morgan Stanley, we have a Goldman Sachs, we have a City. And if you look, I will tell you, Goldman Sachs has done extraordinarily well in this environment. And we're going to take a look at a Goldman Sachs chart. But JP Morgan, for example, the bank that everybody looks at, I mean, that is not traded particularly well. Traded down to 106, I think, as we're sitting here now. It's either side of 120. It was really meandering for a while. Goldman Sachs, on the other hand, has gone from 275 to current levels. And if you put that Goldman chart back up, I will submit it probably can make a run to the prior all-time high. People think I'm out of my mind. I'll say this, book value in Goldman's about 275. You know, should it trade at that kind of premium? Not necessarily in normal times, but what I think we've learned over the last couple quarters, specifically with Goldman and something that I thought would happen, they're going to trade their way out of this. And that, that FIC revenue and the FIC number they put up last quarter, fixed income, currency, and commodities, was staggering. Thoughts on not necessarily Goldman, but just the thought that not all banks are created equal. Yep. And I love that you brought this up. So a couple of things about banks not created equal. There are banks out there that are much more exposed to the consumer and are going to be much more sensitive to the spread between the 10-year and the two-year. Those are the ones that are reliant on consumer lending. And in a period where the yield curve is inverted, you're not going to see as much of a tailwind. When you have a bank that has such a diversified revenue stream where they can benefit from trading revenue, which a lot of these big financials can, and they can benefit from other parts of the business. I think the big thing about Goldman that surprised people was that investment banking revenue has seen a lot of pressure. There's just not as much activity in that part of the business, but still they've managed to come through it. So I think that 
says a lot about this bank. It says a lot about banks that have and have built and continue to build and grow those diversified revenue streams so that they are not victim to purely the macro environment, which is exactly what happened in the first half. Victim of Love, I think, is one of the top songs on Hotel California. I will tell you that Life in the Fast Lane is an awful song. It's not in my top 20 Eagles songs. Hotel California is not making the top 10. Victim of Love, great song. As we get into the holidays and you start thinking about presents you're going to get for whatever holiday you celebrate, you're going to start seeing a lot of wonky commercials. And a lot of times you see a commercial, they'll say something like with that music in the background, EY, home is where the heart is. But you've taken this to another level. Now, I don't know what home you're coming back to. And this is like an after midnight type situation. I'm just throwing that out there without getting into great detail. But you're trying to tell us that home is where the hard landing is. Yeah. I think that you wish that I wrote these after I've had like an entire bottle of wine. And that's how I come up with this cheesy stuff. I do all of this completely sober, usually Uh, in the morning. (laughs) And this one, I can't even take credit for this title. This is my analyst, 100%. I said, I want to do some kind of play on home is where the heart is, but we got to change it. And he, without skipping a beat, home is where the hard landing is. And I was like, oh, you're a genius. I've taught you well. (laughs) So, okay, look, regardless of the fact that I am pretty positive for the second half, now I don't want anybody to go back and say, oh my gosh, she's super bullish. She's come unhinged. That's not how I feel. But I still do think that we can make some upside in the second half. However, this is a period of time that is really challenging for investors because depending on what your opinion is of bull or bear, you can find the data set to support it. And that's why it's been so confusing. There is still a lot of conflicting data out there, but I'll tell you what is not conflicting is when you look at the housing data. There is a pretty big hard landing happening in housing. Now, I want to make sure that I mention everybody that has lived through that 2007-2008 collapse in the housing market gets a little nervous when we show charts like this and when we talk about housing falling apart. We are not in the same scenario that we were at that time. We are not leveraged to those levels. And as I mentioned before, the financials are in a very different position, in a very good capital position. So something like that with huge financial contagion is not on the horizon here. However, housing in this case is a cyclical indicator, and it's really showing the consumer's ability to both borrow and their willingness to spend on big items like a house, right? So as this comes down, and I would note, we needed it to come down. This is one of the biggest sectors that will bring inflation down, but as it comes down, there's likely to be more collateral damage. So think about it. People aren't buying as many houses. They're not switching houses. Then you have things like the construction industry probably takes a little bit of a hit. Some of the materials building materials might take a little bit of a hit. Something like copper follows the housing industry very closely. And then think about the retailers that sell all of the stuff that you have to put in a house, right? So there might be some softening that happens on the other side of this. I don't think that this is a bad thing. I believe in the last part of the note, oh, you have it on there. The question is whether we'll be able to close the door on housing without slamming it. The thing is, affordability of housing came way down Mm -hmm. in the last few months we needed that to happen too, because what I don't want to see is consumers overextending themselves just to buy a house, only to watch the price and the value of it fall over the next two years. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. You go back to Jerome Powell, I think it was June 15th, and as he was walking off the podium there, he actually made a comment, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said to the effect, you know, if you're a millennial thinking about buying a home, you may want to think again. And you should go back and listen to that. I found it odd that he brought that up, but clearly I think they have a vested interest 
obviously they don't want to see housing collapse, but I think they want to see things cool down, which I think is the exact situation that you're talking about here. You don't want to see it collapse. A cool down would be healthy. You don't want to see people overextend. And that theoretically should help this inflation problem. We'll see how it shakes out. XHB is the one thing everybody seems to look at. That's the home builder ETF, equally weighted, I think. And so you have a number of companies, a lot of people never heard of, but anywhere from three and a half to four and a half percent weighting for different companies. I think floor and door decor, which is crazy, is the top <laughs> weighting. Not that it matters. What I will tell you what matters, again, much like the RUT, this has had a tremendous run, probably bumping up against resistance here. And I think even you would submit that if you've enjoyed this run in this ETF, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking money off the table as we get into early fall. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a little bit off, especially if you've made gains in this. But this is really instructive. Keep that chart up for a minute. Look at how the market led this collapse in some of the housing indicators, though, right? We've got that fall from the beginning of the year, and then it bottoms out just a little while ago. And then we've got to bounce off the bottom. And then just in the last couple of weeks, we've gotten some really bad housing data. This worked exactly as it should, where the market leads that, the market sort of foretells what's going to happen in the economic data. So here we are with weakening economic data. And I think this is also a lesson for investors in the second half. The market in the first half foretold that we would have a weakening and a slowing of growth. Here we are with a weakening and a slowing of growth, that economic data is rolling in weaker and weaker, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But this is how the sequence of events works. I will Venmo you $5 if you can tell me who Willie Horton is. <laughs> I'd be shocked if you actually had the Venmo app on your phone, first That's of all. a touche, <laughs> as the French say. <laughs> Willie Horton played for the Detroit Tigers in the 70s. If you're a Dr. Seuss fan, you'll know that Horton, in fact, did hear a who. In my opinion, <laughs> DR Horton is the best home builder out there. Let's throw that chart up because DHY found a level of support at prior resistance, as you can see by the great lines that Amanda drew for us here. And I think there's still a little legs here. Now, we are pulling back a little bit. Dan scoffed at me a month and a half or two months ago when I said, you know what, the home builders might be worth a look, but it coincided basically this bounce with rates topping out. I don't think that's Again, I don't think that's coincidental, so we'll see. To me, my favorite home builder is DHI. This is going to be the period of time I think we can have the most fun. This is audience questions solicited by the aforementioned Amanda, and we got them in droves. I mean, people want to hear what you have to say, and I got to tell you something. I somehow think, I think there are a lot of people out there that say, you two cats should do take this shit on the road, which I happen to agree with. Oh, I'm not going to some brick-walled California place with some fake plant behind me, but that's uh, neither here nor there again. Is that a fake plant, by the way? It is very fake, yeah. yes. And we'd have to sell tickets for 18 and over if you keep swearing. So, you know, yeah, just saying. We can take it on the road, but it's adult Another only. excellent point by you. So can we yeah. see the first question, please, Amanda Diaz, if you may? And this is called Taking Your Tweets. Question. What forces were behind the summer rally, the retailers, high frequency or institutions, EY? I think probably a little all of the above, mm -hmm. but some were reactionary, some were proactive. I think the retail trader was satisfied and happy with gas prices starting to come down, seeing that inflation may have peaked 
And that does a lot for sentiment. I think we've talked about it before on this show. Sentiment is a really powerful thing, not only for consumers, but for individual investors. So sentiment went up, people started trading again. I don't think it's any coincidence that suddenly we've seen this resurgence in the meme theme. The retail trader is here. I will also add an anecdote. We surveyed our members, which are all retail traders, and 74% of them said that in the next six months, they're planning to invest just as much, if not more. So any fear that we had that the retail trader was out of the market after that bear, wrong. They are very much here to stay. I think hedge funds probably had to cover a lot of their shorts. So that ended up happening and that drove some of the rally higher. Institutions may have dealt with the same thing. Suddenly last summer, a song by, I believe, The Motels, that'd be that Amy Mann, if memory serves. The second part of that question, at what point will this no longer be a bear market rally and will it be a sustainable move to the upside? And I would submit, a, you had a couple closes above 4,300, which we're pretty close to, and I think we'll change our tune. Take a look at the next question, if we may. Slide it, Earl, for you match game fans out there. Compl- this is from Jay, by the way. Jay watches us religiously. Hello, Jay. Complacency seems to have reemerged in the stock market with both the VIX and put call ratios markedly lower, yet its utility is a highly defensive play, the only sector basically hitting all-time highs. Is this an odd coincidence or is this something that we should be thinking about more cautiously, perhaps? Well, hi, Jay. And astute question, because this is a period where you look at utilities being, I think, the first sector to hit all-time highs in the S&P since that downtrend. And you ask yourself, what in the hell is going on? Because normally, when you have a lot of breath like this and a bounce, it's happening during a period when the Fed is loose and when the yield curve is steep. Obviously, neither of those characteristics is present. I think that a lot of this trade is still to do with the fact that we have that conflicting data. There are for for every bull out there, there's a corresponding bear. And you've got people that are positioned for both. But here's the good news. People are not exiting the equity market. They're still staying invested in equities. Guy, I promise you I will not use the phrase, but They're staying invested in equities. They're just taking a more defensive posture. So I think that this is an indication of barbell. I actually like it because it makes me feel like people aren't being completely outrageous with their risk taking. Barbell, something you'll hear at least 13 times a show (laughs) on the noon Eastern CNBC (laughs) broadcast. That's probably for another show. Next question, please. And this comes from Steve OMFG, which my sense is means, oh my bleep. I've read that we have not yet felt the effects of selling down the Fed balance sheet. I happen to agree. If you watched Fast Money last night, though, Mr. McCauley disagreed. He didn't think it would be a big deal. Any thoughts as to when this might happen? And will we stay the course if some debacle happens as before? You know what? I'm going to actually turn that back to you, first of all, because he ended it with go Yankees. So this Mm. is clearly not directed at me, but also because I know that you probably have a much more enthusiastic answer than I do. So when does tightening start to hurt? I think, well, we haven't seen it yet. I mean, a balance sheet that ballooned north of $9 trillion, when that starts to be reduced, you have to wonder what it means for the broader market. I don't think we can get through it unscathed, a balance sheet reduction along with interest rates going higher in an environment where unemployment is going to start ticking higher with inflation still a problem. Like So many of these things happening at the same time, there's no way they thread that needle. So some people say it's not a big deal. 
I say it is a big deal. They're trying to unwind EY, the largest prop trade in the history of mankind, and they are ill-equipped to do it. But that's me on my soapbox. Go Yankees, by the See, way. I agree I knew, with that. I knew you were going to be That was a good answer, by one. the way. Yeah. It was a good answer. Uh, was, it's a good last thing we recorded one, it. Last one before we get out of here. Here's a question. Marc Doré, or Dor, depending on whether or not he's French-Canadian or from like, I would say, let's say like Topeka, Kansas. XBI and IBB have run into resistance and are backing off a bit. Will you be adding on a pullback? I'm going to take this quickly and I'll say this. If you're a fastidious watcher of CNBC's Fast Money, 5 o'clock Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, you'll know that I rarely, if ever, mention the ETFs associated with biotech. I'm much more inclined to find stocks that I think can do well. The Obviously, the ETFs are more of a smoothing mechanism, and you are correct that many of those have pulled off, not least of which the ones that are heavily Moderna-esque. I'll say this, Amgen continues to be best in breed. And recently, Gilead EY has had a little bit of a stealth breakout. Any parting thoughts before you start to film whatever the hell videos you are (laughs) filming in front of that fake plant and shitty brick wall? Uh, Did I say that? I'm sorry. I happen to really like this background. All right. Thoughts on biotech. I actually like biotech. If you are invested in the ETFs, yes, I would add on the pullbacks. But to Guy's point, and I can't I can't talk about individual names, but I do also pick individual names in that space. Another idea, which will shock all of you to your very core, is small cap growth because it is highly overweight biotech and pharma. So you can have something with even more diversification, but still a lot of exposure to that sector. What do they call it when people like laugh out loud to themselves? Do they call it something? LOL. That's it. That's it. They, they're lolling. I guarantee. Well, first of all, I know you loll all the time. And um, that, you know lot. what? I love that. I think it's great because <laughs> you know what? Laughter, in fact, is the greatest medicine. And I know some of you cats out there lolled throughout this whole thing. And I know Dan at some point will see this and he will make at least seven faces roll uh-huh. his eyes at least a dozen times. But hey, That's what happens when the cat's away, somebody plays. And in this case, it's EY and G Swizz. But that's if he tries not to watch it. I think he avoids it. He will watch this. I want to say this, folks. As we get into September, this is when baseball gets serious. I would love to see a Yankee Brewers World Series, something that's never happened before. That would captivate. I don't know if we can handle that. Well, that's exactly right. There would be wagers. There'd be all kinds of stuff. I'd I'd have to wear my cap. You'd probably pull out your Paul Molitor shirt or something or Robin Yount. Robin Yount. Robin Yount. I was at his 3,000th hit, remember? I I will be a Robin Yount fan till the day I die. Robin Yount, by the way, started playing for the Brewers, I think, as an 18-year-old, which is remarkable. Uh, One of the great baseball players that people don't talk about often enough, and I'll say this and there will be an arrogance to this, if he played in New York, people would talk about him the same way people talk about a Joe DiMaggio, a Mickey wow. Mantle. But that he was wow. in the obscurity of the Midwest, 90% of the country couldn't pick him out of a lineup. That's for another show. But oh. that's it for Market Call. Thank everybody for joining. Check out Liz's blog every Thursday at SoFi.com slash blog. You follow her on Twitter already. And if you're not following her, you're just living your life the wrong way because she's going to put that miserable joke on Twitter at some point and you can <laughs> at her all day long. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, and of course, we're powered by Open Exchange. 
I'm powered by life. EY is powered by the sun of Southern California. Hopefully you're powered by the last 38 minutes we've spent together. See you later.